as a teenager, I would write every day, probably two or three songs and just hang out. And that was a wonderful thing. And as you get older, I find anyway, uh, it takes longer for the songwriter to appear in the room. But then once he does appear, he's he's a, he's a nuisance and he won't leave leave me alone. <laughs> and uh, at the present time, I'm enjoying his company, let's say. Tokyo tonight. Tonight. Hey, <laughs> how, how are you, man? Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the things I was going to, I wanted to ask you right off the top uh, because it's just one of those things that I've noticed immediately. You guys were always unabashedly uh, British, by the way. You know what I mean? Like in a, in the greatest way possible. And I know that you had to change some lyrics in um some songs and i wonder if like um, specifically black coffee I, I believe too right um yeah yeah um, is that something that you got a lot of flack for because i feel like you had a lot of british slang in your music which a lot of people love especially americans who like love the band but i know i know that there's something going on back there where they they wanted you to change some stuff around um well on british television there was a program called top of the pops we had to change the lyrics in a song called call for cats and in america there was a couple of changes like uh, on the song goodbye girl we had to change the word lino um but you know because we're british we speak with a british tongue or at least we were definitely speaking with uh, you know singing with a british tongue in those days mm -hmm. did yeah. you did you did you kind of hate having to change that stuff around or were you were you all right with it that didn't phase me. I th the only thing that annoyed me about Black Coffee in Bed was the record company edited it down to get it on the radio, but they didn't run it past us. They just cut it up and then put it on, which was kind of weird. But that was back in the day. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, that's I think for a lot of people, that was one of the appeals of listening to Squeeze. You know what I mean? Like you, you were hearing stuff you'd never heard before. Yeah. Also, also thrown into a song and sung into lyrics and kind of mixed in. So it made, I don't know. I feel like it made you feel kind of cool. You were like, I'm in it. I get it. <laughs> I'm part yeah. of it. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's, I mean, how many years have we been doing? It's extraordinary, really. It's, yeah. I'm very proud. That's awesome. Uh, did you always want to be a musician? And, and did that start when you were younger? Yeah, I was at school and, you know, history, geography, uh, stuff like that wasn't really my cup of tea, so to mm -hmm. speak. We had a really, I had a really great art teacher and she was enthusiastic about music. So she'd bring records in and um, she enthused me to listen to music and then eventually to pick up a bass guitar and join a band or form a band. Um, that was way wow. before Squeeze, of course. Mm -hmm. Is that what you want? Did you uh, always want to be in a band or did you feel like you want to do solo stuff first? Like what was... No, I always wanted to be in a band because I lived on a, a council, what's called a council estate here in the UK. And um, it was always like a gang of boys, you know, that was the most important thing. And so to be in a band, you know, like the Small Faces, the Kinks, the Beatles, the Stones, that's a gang of boys, you know, having a great time touring the world, drinking, having yeah. fun, you know, that was it. 
That's awesome. It's cool to be able to start out with a collaborative feeling because I feel like a lot of people sometimes have to get used to it and they don't know how to work with it. Yeah, well, it's a collective ambition when everybody's young and they're all in a band, everybody's in a band, you all want to head off in the same, yeah, you want the same route. Right. Yeah, it always, uh, always slightly made me jealous as a comic because I would see people in a band or even like improv groups they had each other's backs and you're not necessarily alone on stage all the time. So when stuff goes wrong, you can be like, right guys. And then, but when yeah. you're a comic, you're kind of like, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm the idiot here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's all on me. Um, do, do you stay tight with those band members? Cause I have a friend that when we were younger would always say he was just lucky enough to be swept up into almost being like always part of an entourage, but his mm. friends that he grew up with were never with him. So it was like, it's not as much fun as if you're sharing it with somebody and you can share those memories for years to come. So do you stay tight with the guys that you, that you came up with, with that same gang of boys or not, not as much? Um, yeah, I suppose I do, you know, from time to time. Um, yeah, I suppose it, it's good to keep connected to people who gave you the ability to become who you are. You know, they're really important pe people and for better or for worse it's 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 part of your uh, journey it's a it's a part of a loving thing so yeah to keep in contact is very important i feel like over the pandemic people wound up reaching out and keeping in touch with people that they hadn't seen or talked to in a while just because of the necessity to like you know reach out to anybody <laughs> you know yeah. uh was that what was it what was it kind of like for you in that respect um, well, it took me ages to find any inspiration, but when I did find it, I was writing about my teenage years and I was writing songs about my friends and maybe what had happened to them. So I wrote a whole bunch of songs about um, all the characters that I used to hang out with. And then I imagined what they were doing now. So nice. um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. That's really cool. That's a good way to keep busy. I mean, you know, I feel like everybody kind of found a different way to create or do something new or, or, you know. Well, I enjoyed it. And, and I also ran uh, a whole bunch of songwriting workshops on Zoom. So every other week I'd have 15 writers mm -hmm. and we'd spend four or five days uh, pushing the boat out and trying different, different things. And all these writers were locked down with no stages to play on and you know a lot of them were having lots of doubts about what they were doing and really it was just very encouraging to have people give themselves yeah did you did you find that you embraced the live streaming aspect of it right away or did it take some time absolutely i was a, it was my route out of this room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and um you know long may it be because it's it's a great format um, i did a songwriting workshop just this weekend and it was hugely successful i think that the the, the 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 element of using this kind of streaming it can bring people together without them having to go very far and it keeps people safe yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I feel like, especially for a collaborative sense, too, is there's really no excuse to not see any, you know what I mean? Like, normally, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be like, oh, but the drive and I don't have the time or the distance or whatever. And now it's like, hey, can you be in your office in your bedroom at mm -hmm. six? And you're like, yeah, I guess <laughs> I have no excuse to be lazy at this point. Yeah. Um, is it have you noticed uh, uh, any change in your writing process versus maybe when you started to now to uh, collaborating again uh, during the pandemic? 
Well, as a teenager, I would write every day, probably two or three songs and just hang out. And that was a wonderful thing. And as you get older, I find anyway, uh, it takes longer for the songwriter to appear in the room. But then once he does appear, he's he's a, he's a nuisance and he won't leave leave me alone. And uh, at the present time, I'm enjoying his company, let's say. Nice. Excellent. I never thought of putting it that way with like somebody else in the room when you're trying to be creative. Because there is there are those times where you're like, I really need to work on something. And that guy is nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, could you at least let me know when you're going to check out so I don't waste my time? <laughs> sure. That's yeah. him. Um, did you do you find that you write more lyrically first or musically first? Um, well, I'm a lyricist primarily, so mm -hmm. that's what I do. I write lyrics and I send them to people who I'm working with. Um, and sometimes people send me titles um, and or ideas, and that gets me exci excited. And then I sit in this room and I start to work. Nice. Yeah, it's. It, I'm always amazed by musicians because a lot of the times, even you know. Um, people who consider themselves strictly lyricists will be like, yeah, I, sometimes I just hear a, a tune in my head or I wake up with something in the morning and then start to write to that tune. And I always wished, because that's not how I write at all either. And I don't, I'm not musically inclined at all, but I mean, that'd be amazing yeah. to just all of a sudden have something pop in your head. Yeah. I've and woken then, up with a random tune in my head, but it's usually like a cartoon melody from yeah, so many yeah. years ago. I was going to say, yeah. singing it throughout the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The like, earworm. <laughs> Wake me up before you go go by wham just pops into my head randomly and I'm just like that's oh, never leaving. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah my 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 earworm this morning was my boy lollipop. Uh, oh my god. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> that, so by yeah by uh Benny Pearl um that's I have a weird story about that. I'm high high school driving around with a bunch of my friends in my car. And uh, I've got music playing. And at the time, you know, Napster was like really popular, all their stuff. And my mom had just become aware of it. So, she, of course, she's like, you know, show me how to use whatever. So I downloaded a bunch of songs for her that she liked. And uh, my boy Lollipop was one of them. It's oh, somehow. Yeah. yeah. And it was it's a great song, but not when you're riding around with your dude friends, you know, going to another town. And it seeped into my playlist. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're listening to all our music. It's blasting in the car, and then out of the blue, my boy Lollipop starts playing, and automatically they just look at me, and they're like, "What is this?" And I'm just yeah. like, "It's not my song, I swear to God." And they're like, "Sure, it's not." Uh, <laughs> and I was like, "No, but uh, it's a great song." Um, that was a weird story, but <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit weird. Yeah, it's a, we'll move past. I liked it though. I liked it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, try to be vulnerable. I think that's but... how most people feel about our podcast. It was a little yeah, bit yeah. weird, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that's a that's a great song to wake up to. Uh, did you have like were you inspired by anybody in particular when you started out? But like when you were in the band with your group of friends, anybody that like stuck out to you? Well, there's many, and um, The Who, The Velvet Underground, um, uh, Iggy and the Stooges, because it was just like a racket, and I thought, well, if they can make a racket, so can I. <laughs> um, you know, it was, there was lots of different things, but then on the other side of the coin, there would be James Taylor and Joni Mitchell, so there was a balance. Right. Um, was there anybody that you – because I feel like a lot of people – um kind of emulate somebody in the in the beginning was there anybody that you kind of had to shake 
out of your head where like, okay, I'm being a little too much like this. Let me try to find my own voice. Well, um, because of my deep tones, I used to sound like Lou Reed a lot um, mm. in the early days. And I don't mind that because, um, you know, he's a great person to mimic in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and it's my voice and I can't change it. I can't sing like other people's. So I just have to sing like, like me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, was there more, uh, would you say like the British invasion kind of influenced you um, a bit? Like, did you feel like you had to get to America at a certain point or were you, that wasn't in your vision at all? Yeah, I mean, it's in every band's vision to go to America. And I remember the first time coming to the States and we toured for like a couple of months uh, in the back of a Chevy van and it was a great education for us. We, we went to places where you wouldn't really normally go to play shows and and um, we learned a lot, you know, it was a, it was just a fun time. It was a really fun time. Do you remember like your wildest uh, kind of tour memory in that van? Like anything crazy happened in the Chevy van? Every day. I mean, every day, was <laughs> every day it was chaos. Um, but, you know, we would like, for instance, we went to Dallas and um, we turned up at the gig. I think it was called the Longhorn Ballroom. Okay. And um, there was bar, there was not bar, there was chicken wire across the stage. And I said to the the guy around the place, why is there chicken wire? And he said, because they ain't going to like you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that must be fun to play. Did you, did you guys were like, we're like, this is going to be nuts. Or did you like do your stuff and stay calm well, well we just played and people threw things at us and it was it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible is it when you get to a certain point where you're like super successful do you think back to times like that and you're like i kind of wish we had the chicken wire well i mean we were in dallas just recently and i remembered that vividly but you know this time we were on a massive stage with hall and oats and right i was thinking that's some journey from behind the chicken wire to fifteen thousand pe people yeah. yeah that's a great title for a book by the way uh behind the chicken wire to fifteen thousand people <laughs> yeah it is yeah. that would be amazing <laughs> um i would read that in a heartbeat uh, did you um, ever get starstruck? Were, were you a type to get starstruck easily, like by people you had met on the road and stuff? No, I don't think so. Um, I just figured that we were all in the same boat together in some ways. It, and you know what's crazy? It is very much like that. One of my friends used to describe show business as we're all in the same boat. It's just that some of us don't have to row as hard as the others. There you go. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, that's that's exactly how it is. Uh, it, was there anybody when you were younger, we were like, I really want to work with this person and then got to, and it was kind of mind blowing. Um, well, the first album was produced by John Cale and, um, I didn't think, oh, I'd love to work with him, but we ended up working with him. And of course, being a huge Velvet Underground fan, it was yeah. a massive buzz to be in a studio with such a creative mind. Right. Any, any like differences of, uh, cause I know like sometimes you know, especially during the this pandemic, a lot of artists have been like, you know what, it was great. It was great being able to do an album that wasn't really produced by anybody with anybody looking over your shoulder. Did you find any kind of conflict back in the day with uh, producers or, or how you wanted your album to sound and versus? No, not me personally. I, I enjoy having a producer on board because it's like a sounding board. It's somebody you can, you know, you can sit with and debate ideas and 
and um, you pull out the best of the song, I think. Right. So, you know, when we went in the studio with Elvis Costello, it was a massive buzz again, but it was also a very creative time because he was, he, you know, he was at the peak of his career at, that, at mm -hmm. then. Um, when you were doing like your songwriting and stuff like that, especially with somebody like who was at their peak, did you guys um, collaborate in a way where you felt like you could you could give somebody input? Like, how do you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to um, lend a lyric here? Is it is it as collaborative between other musicians where you're like, hey, you know what, I think this this song would be great if you added this in there or whatever. Or do you all kind of stay to yourselves at that point? Um, well, with Squeeze originally, we would all have our part to play. Um, and I think most bands are like that. You kind of it's it's a democratic, virtually a democratic sort of setup, if you if you like. And um, you know, those are the kind of uh, bands that I like to to be around when it's kind of when you 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 know it's like a game of football. Everybody wants to kick the ball in the same direction. Mm -hmm. You want yeah. you want to score the goal, so it works very very well. That's awesome. Um, is, were your parents cool with you going out like as young as you were back in the day? Were they fine with the music thing? Did they get it? Not really. No, my parents were dead against it. They thought it was not the rob. You know, they it was important to have a job to lean back on a trade as they said in those days mm -hmm. um and i didn't really have one so it, it, i just had to leave home and get on with what i wanted to do so i left home um found some a friend to live with um and then dropped out i suppose and then just became that guy who wrote lyrics <laughs> oh, wow wow that's nice. When did your parents, did they ever, or when did they like first embrace it? Like, okay, this is a career, we get it. Um, well, once we'd been on television a few times and we were starting to play um, to larger audiences than just a few people in the pub, um, then they sort of saw it as being something that may just have a future. <laughs> <laughs> he may be onto something here. Were you, yeah. what, what was the point where you felt like you had a future? Oh, um, from the very first day. I mean, I, you know, I was singly minded into what I wanted to, to do and still am. You know, I wake up every morning thinking, well, I want to have a record. I want to have a tour. You know, I, you know, I want would like to have all of those things in the modern world. Yeah, yeah. It, that's awesome that you had it when you were younger, because I feel like sometimes it does take people a while to solidify who they are. Mm. And I, I remember even for me, like, you know, when I, when I started doing stand up, it was still kind of one of those things where like, am I making the right choice? But once I finally realized, yeah, this is the only choice. Yeah. It, it felt so much better. Of course. Yeah. It's like, this is who you are. Yep. Absolutely. Do you ever uh, have the days though? Like not now because you're well established, <laughs> but did you ever have the days where you're like, I should have just been a police officer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I never had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> um uh is there ever like i mean there's a lot of stuff going on today obviously politically and all that other stuff too was it were you guys passionate about that kind of stuff back in the day about making sure stuff got into your lyrics um was it because i feel like a lot of artists today have you know 
uh, the impetus to say something, to speak out, you know, and it's kind of like it was a little bit back in the day, but I'm not sure. I think it's heavier now for some reason. Could just be because I'm young and I have no idea, you know, but like, I you know what I mean? I yeah, I don't, I've never had the longing to write politically minded songs because I don't have the knowledge of what to say. Right. And also once you've said something, it becomes dated extremely quickly because um, politics and the world moves so quickly, right. much quicker, quicker than it's ever done. So I don't think my audience, my personal audience as a solo artist, they want to hear the um, positive stories. They want to hear stories that reflect maybe their own life. Um, you know, if they want to hear about um, things that are going on in in a political sense, they can just pick up a newspaper or read it on the on the on the news. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it too. Do you do you feel any particular way about the stuff that's going on now with like Spotify and um, the artists kind of pull like Neil Young, Joni Mitchell? You had mentioned before. You know, they're pulling their music off of it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great because they can do that um, as a as a smaller footprint artist i don't think they'd be that bothered it wouldn't make much of a much of a, <laughs> a, a, a deal for them but what is interesting is a lot of people are selling their stock back to their record companies and today even i was reading that sting has sold his catalog back to universal yeah wow. and i think as you get to a certain age you think well actually i'm never going to own this stuff it's always going to belong to them. So they may as well buy the other half off of me and they can keep it. Right. Would you ever do something like that? Well, you know, when I was read Sting's interview today about it, it made perfect sense to me. It's like they're never going to give us the rights completely to look after our own music. Right. So it's always going to be choked, suffocated in some sort of, you know, they're not that bothered about it. Right. I, I'm but, so good. But it, but if they owned it, maybe they would be. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by the way all of it works too, because there's somebody explained it to me where it's like, yeah, they sold their music. Like Springsteen just did that, but mm. apparently they still have some level of control over it where it, they could say where they want it to go, which doesn't make any sense because it was basically like if he wanted to pull out of something like a Spotify. He could because there's probably like a clause in his contract that still says he mm. uh, can do what he wants with it. That fascinates the hell out of me because I, I assumed if you sold your stuff, you've got no more control over it. But I don't know how. Well, it depends how it depends how you word the deal. I think everybody's different, right? Um, you can cut the cloth accordingly depending on how how much leverage you have as a artist and of course somebody like sting or bruce spinkstein can sit down with the heads of those record companies and and do the deal that is good for them somebody like myself you know if i sat down with the head of universal they wouldn't know who the fuck i was so <laughs> you know it would, be, it, it would it would be hard to try and get a deal right yeah um i on the same line were you protective about your songs in a way like um when you are you flattered when you hear a cover of them? Do you like that kind of stuff? Or, or are you like, ah, it's supposed to be sung this way? I'm flattered completely. Nice. 
Yeah, that's I feel like I feel like people couldn't be anything but flattered. But I've known I've talked to a few people who are very much like I'm very strict about exactly the way it sounds. I, I think that comes down to like because music and spoken word are the type of art form where it's yours and it comes from your soul. But it's not mm. something that's tangible that you could sell like a painting. Where you're yeah. like, OK, once it's gone, this is yours and total and complete. So yeah. I think even think about it like a joke, like if you formed a joke. And you're like, oh, imitation is the best form of flattery. But if you hear somebody telling you a joke, John, you're going to be like, this hack. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. That's why that's why it's completely different, because I feel like I, I like covers. And then, you know, but sometimes you see something where you're like you're walking around a grocery store and you hear somebody covering a song that you like and you're like, what the hell do they do? Mm. <laughs> you know, so I always wonder what it's like for the artist in particular. That's I also true. find it's amazing that you like we. As an artist, you can have somebody else own it's your song is like a piece of your soul. So you can have this company own that piece of you to the point where we had uh, Chris Smithers, who's a folk singer, sing a song on our cast with us. And it got copyright infringement and he wasn't allowed to do it because the record company stopped it from being played on our cast because it was too close to the original. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing, yeah, that right? was wild. Yeah, that was wild. I was like, I was like, yeah, I got flagged and we got in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I was Rebel. like, but it's it's him singing it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, are you one of those people who do you do you prefer when you're live singing it to mix it up and, and play it a little differently? No, not really. Um Squeeze is very strict about the way the songs are performed. They're performed pretty much to the way they were recorded. Mm -hmm. Um when I venture out as a solo artist i have to change them because it's just me and and a, and a guitar so i need to um transpose the song and make sure that people are engaged in it in a different way so you know i can slow it down speed it up whatever i want to do whereas when you're in a band you have to stick to the rule right i always found it interesting whenever i go to see like a live band like um I want to see the Counting Crows live and they don't particularly play their songs the same way you hear it on an album. And it's just funny because the audience tries to sing along and then, you know, Adam Duritz will like change up something and you just see them get like incensed. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, my God. And like you can feel the tension because they're like, I was singing with you. Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah, like, yeah. Nope. Yeah. It's always funny to me. Or like even like, um, you know, uh, one of my friends went to a Dylan concert, which I know is like, you know, he he's everybody knows that he just kind of does what he wants but uh they were like yeah none of it sounded the same and they were kind of angry about it and i was like but i know people who love going to see the artist interpret the song do you feel any way particular way like when you're listening to a song you love and they change it up are you like oh this is what i like it depends who it is i mean i, I don't really have an opinion about that i think I, I prefer the originals every time, of course, because sure. that's just the way, the first time that you hear a song. But if somebody's going to change something around, then I'm willing to have a listen. Mm. How did you get into producing music and getting into that stuff? Did that aspect of it appeal to you when you were younger too, or did you kind of grow into it from watching other people kind of do your stuff? I'm not. I don't like produce producing uh, particularly. I don't like being in the studio for very long. I get itchy feet, but. Um, <laughs> But um, I'm working with a band in a couple of weeks' time who are a young bunch of guys, and um, it will just be an exciting couple of days just to hear them play and 
and and just be be there for them you know what's that's what producing is about it's just about to be there for that for the other person make them feel welcome make them try and get them to perform the best that they possibly can in that in that in that hour mm. that's that's a great way to put it um because it's always nice to have somebody in your corner especially somebody with as much wisdom as you have it just makes anybody starting out feel like they know what you know kind of giving them the confidence to know what they're doing yeah um, you just hold their hand basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> um is it is it something that you like felt better about doing late like you said you had itchy feet did you get over that ever or do you still feel that kind of way if you're too long in a studio uh well i i'm i kind of prefer to grab the moment and by being in the studio for too long you can sometimes lose the moment mm -hmm. creativity is is for me is linked to an an emotional soul and that you can't stretch it has to be either there or it isn't for for me anyway so whenever i'm working on something it it has to be within a um a certain feeling rather than an algorithm wow um one of the things i always wonder too is you know as far as the pandemic and everything that's kind of changed were you somebody who went out to see live music like you just said you're working with a younger band now how did you stumble upon them did they come to you or do you go out and actively seek it no i never seek anything i just sit here and wait for <laughs> for, for something to happen <laughs> I can never. I'm now. I'm never going to be able to picture you leaving that one room. Like, yeah, no, Chris. Did I, no, I seriously don't. I sit here and things happen, and that's how it's meant to be. This is like my church, and people come and people go, and you know, I don't. I don't seek. I don't. At my age, I'm not interested in seeking stuff. Apart from, there's one thing that eludes me, which I'm going to stop seeking, which is musical theatre. I've been trying to push myself in that direction educating myself on it but it becomes more and more elusive the closer you get to it i think really why do you think that is in particular for you um because i think it's a very um busy thoroughfare you know there's lots of people writing musical theater now uh, there's less there's stages of uh, um have got waiting lists because of the pandemic for theater, for shows coming into the West End or on broad Broadway. Um, and also it's about finding the writer and I haven't been able to find anybody yet that I can sit down with them. Right. Right. Yeah. Is, um, I, I was just thinking out of the blue, cool for cats. I don't know if you would, would you, would you turn that into a musical? <laughs> because I feel like that would be insane and a lot of fun. Like, is yeah, that the no. kind of thing? Not really. I mean, I'd like to work on something new, like, you know, take an old story like The Odd Couple or Groundhog Day, something like that, and just make it into a stage play. Groundhog Day would be amazing to do. That's like one of my favorite yeah. movies of all it's time. It's incredible, yeah. Right? It just, and no matter when, like, I mean, obviously Groundhog Day is when you want to watch it, but like anytime that's on TV, I will stop <laughs> what I'm doing and I'm like, I got to watch Bill Murray in this Groundhog. Mm, yeah. Was did you have any uh was there anything you particularly binged during the pandemic something that you like couldn't get away from well i'd never heard of curb your enthusiasm until the pandemic wow and so we went and we watched every one of those um 
We then watched all the cooking shows on Net Netflix, <laughs> um, and then crime stuff about ice. Uh, there was one last week we watched um, I I the Spy, uh, oh, the, I the Sniper. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so a really yeah, good one. yeah, lots of cool stuff. The crime stuff. Uh, I feel like when you're trapped inside, the last thing you want to do is watch 24 hour home invasions. But that's what I did. Yeah. Fair um, yeah. And I was like, that's it. Have you seen the one called um, Evil Genius? No, I keep pushing this one. They should pay me. Uh, you it's, do. You do. I do. It's one of the craziest things. The craziest things about the crime stuff is that, you know, you realize these people are like in your neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like this is, you know, I live in New Jersey and this stuff happened in, happened in Pennsylvania. Um, but you have to check it out. It's it's the it's like eight episodes. You know, you don't I really will vouch for it. I watched it. It flew by and I made it, was, watch it. it was amazing to uh, I don't I don't want to give anything away to you, but it just involves an innocent man robbing a bank. Start it there and go take a look at it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Out of control. Cool. And the craziest thing is, I remember this story when I was in high school because it was a guy that robbed a bank with a a bomb, like that was somebody had built that was a collar around his neck. You don't forget that when you're, no matter how what age you are. But we had heard about it, and we were just like, whatever. And then years later, they came out with the documentary, and it's so much crazier. I'm not gonna lie, it might make a pretty sweet musical. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. I know. wouldn't that be crazy if that's the thing that sparked it and you were like i think i've got my musical <laughs> every producer's like this is very original yeah yeah, yeah. Would it would be yeah he never mentions that, that he talked to us about it though he's yeah. like this is forget it we just yeah. see him all over the west end <laughs> there you go. um when when you're uh, is there a particular moment uh in the maybe like you know middle of everything that was going on where you were, where you had to like, basically like, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life, like on stage working with somebody you love or just a particular moment with the band that you, that you were like, this is going to be the something I remember forever. Um, yeah, I suppose so. Um, on the Hall of Notes tour last year, playing Hollywood Bowl, that was pretty extraordinary wow. being on stage. That was very emotional. Um, but equally, at the beginning of that tour, we played um, uh, Madison Square Garden. And that was before, there's two days before the pandemic really hit. We'd heard about it on the news. But um, so to do that show was very emotional because we flew back the next day and that was the end of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I feel like everybody was in a weird position when this thing hit. And they were either just coming up with something. Uh, did you feel like it was going to end shorter than you than you thought it was? And you were like, ah, we'll be fine. We'll be back on tour. Or did you have a sense that this is going to be a while? Um, I had a sense it would be a while. Um, it just reading between the lines, uh, it just seemed like this is a bug that's going to be around for us. And it's not over. It's still here. So, yep. you know, even though here in the UK, they're dropping all the, all the, um, restrictions in a, in a couple of weeks time <clears throat> there's still variants coming in from africa and places like that so yeah it's this it's the same thing here where uh, you have a bunch of people like we I had a bunch of gigs canceled rightfully so in january because of omicron and but there's still comedy club owners or venue owners that are like no everything's fine here and i'm like 
what? <laughs> like, no, it's not. And you kind of have to do the right thing, you know, and, and mm. bite the bullet. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the worst part. When you see people that are like artists that are speaking out in a way, like, I mean, I think, uh, I think Eric Clapton kind of surprised me a little bit, um, with his stance on the whole thing. But do you feel like that's just part of the PTSD of the pandemic where people are like not ready to, you know, they're not fully embracing what's going on around them. I don't have an answer really. I think everybody's entitled to their view. It might be the wrong one, but it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not um, for me to comment on Eric Clapton or um, Van Morrison or anybody who else who's had a different view on stuff. Um, you know, when they make comments like that, I don't listen. Yeah, uh, that's probably the best that's best it. route to take. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's just it, I feel like I, a lot of people that I know too, like artists in general, were either like if they're not on stage, you know, they don't know their own value. You know what I mean? Not that they don't know their own value, but it's just so intrinsically part of the performance thing that mm. they'll do anything to get back on. Were you? Did you find that struggle frustrating for you? Where you were like, okay, it's day whatever. I need to sing. I need to be out there. Like, what did you do to kind of cope with that? I didn't. I wasn't bothered. I just wanted it to go on and on and on. <laughs> you know, wow. I, I no, I don't mean that flipping. No, no, no. I know you. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the freedom of being at home and not having to worry about stuff like that. And I'm I'm very lucky because I got to work on my podcast and I got to work with students on songwriting sitting in this room i did zoom shows every saturday to raise mm -hmm. money for different charities and so i was always busy and that kept my mind ticking over and that was important yeah yeah i, I feel like we we talked about it a few times on this show but basically you know if you have to find a silver lining it's it's that level of like creativity that kind of came out of it from mm. having to exercise different muscles or being able to do zoom shows or you know yeah. anything like that so i don't know yeah. a lot of bad yeah. shit happened but yeah a lot of good came out of it too absolutely let, let me ask what is uh so now i know music is your preferred art form to express but do you have one that you prefer to take in to relax like that you that is like your just for your pleasure like cinema or cinema or comedians or anything of that nature um well i enjoyed jazz music from the 60s and 50s and it's kind of music that i never really listened to growing up and i find it very relaxing to listen to um i don't really get a lot of time to um sit and indulge myself in in that kind of way um you know it's it's different from week to week from day to day really what i like to uh, um you know i'm trying to um be a writer i'm trying to do my podcast i'm trying to you know work on songwriting so it's that takes up a lot of time when i relax it's normally when i just hit the pillow mm. <laughs> yeah. um i love the podcast by the way how was the what was the impetus to kind of start doing that was it the you know pandemic do you actually like uh enjoy diving into another creative art form in that way well, working with Help Musicians, which is a UK charity, um, I went to them and said, look, wh why don't we do a podcast and that way we can kind of um, get people like Sting to talk about what it's like for them. And then people at the other end of the of, of the pier who, uh, uh, you know, 
who haven't got any money who are living in the dark and don't have a stage to play on might draw some inspiration from these conversations and that's how it began and it's to shine a light on the charity not on me and not on my guest and so it the, the first series is, was extremely popular i really enjoyed doing it um the second series we're working on now and it's a little bit tougher to get guests because the um, people are back at work i guess um Mm-hmm. But you know, I keep dreaming and I keep knocking on the doors. Nice. Is there is there somebody that you really want to get that you haven't gotten yet? Yeah, um, I keep knocking on Taylor Swift's door um, because I really respect the fact that she stands up for herself in the music world. Um, I think it's really important. I know a little bit about her family and her background. Um, we actually shared the same bus driver for a while in America. Wow. Um, so, you know, she, but she just seems like a really lovely lady, you know, and and I think um, whatever people have an opinion of her, she's she does write terrific songs. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I feel like that's undeniable, and I never understand the pushback she gets. It's just like a weird internet thing where people have their, like, teams and they want to, they're like, yeah, you're either yeah. for or against. And it's so weird. It's like, I feel like everybody can find one song from at least one artist that they like. Mm. like that's what I've always felt yeah. like. Maybe they're not your cup of tea, but there's one song out of a whole catalog, you know? Mm. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. I hope you get her, man. Um, is, uh, it, what was the, like, for listening to new music, is it something that you do, uh, naturally you know what i mean like is it something like you'll turn on a particular radio station or you know maybe pop in an app and be like i want to see what's the top 40 do you you do that kind of thing no (laughs) (laughs) because like how do you find somebody like if you're looking for a new guest or something like that you've never heard is it recommendation word of mouth from friends again it's just sitting in the room here and waiting for ideas to come and people to knock on the door um you know um couple of weeks ago somebody introduced me to swiss beats who i didn't really know anything about and and then two days later i'm doing a zoom call with him and i have no idea who he is (laughs) and it was embarrassing to find out that he's sold millions and millions of albums and produced loads of things but you know we had lots of things in common and he was very uh, giving he gave up a whole hour of his time it was lovely that's awesome really nice those connections are that's a, that's the thing that's cool about um again silver lining is uh people who are willing to talk and share their experience and stories and stuff like that that you maybe would never get to talk to you otherwise like again mm. like i appreciate you coming on immensely because mm. otherwise you know i'm not in england you're not i don't think you're coming to jersey uh anytime soon i feel like you know what by the way i feel like most people who tour they're always like new york uh philly uh you know los angeles and i'm like Jersey, nothing. Nobody wants Jersey. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I don't want to live here either. But holy shit, uh, <laughs> you know, come out once in a while. Even when they play the Meadowlands, they still say they're in New York. So I sorry, know they do. You're not going to yeah. win. That's yeah. that's that's the other thing I've noticed too. They're like, don't ever mention New Jersey. Um, is there is there is there a particular place that you loved going to tour when you were when you were out with uh, Squeeze and stuff? Like a favorite spot that you look forward to hitting every year? Trenton. 
<laughs> Thank you. That is the soundbite <laughs> we were looking for. Imagine the Trentonian just runs that exclusively. <laughs> They're like, finally, <laughs> a, music, a musician loves us. That's great. Um, I yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, there's there's like a million places. I feel like uh, you know, um, bands like get to tour and, and go around and stuff like that. It's got to be hard to pick one particular place. Have you ever forgotten where you were when you were on tour? Where you get on stage and you're like, hello, and then you know, they're like, no, never. Um, I'm always trying to be aware of where I am, um, but it's. On our early date sheets, we played in New Jersey so many times. Um, nice. And um, you know, there was like, a, I can't remember the name of it now, but there was a club just through the tunnel um, that was run by an Italian family. And we played there quite a few times. It was it was a really big, big place for us. You know, it, playing in the suburbs is very important because, especially these days, because family families don't want to travel so right. they don't want to go into new york so i'd rather come to the count basie theater in new jersey and play there and then yeah. people don't have to come too far they can have something to eat and see the show you know for us it's just like coming you know coming through the tunnel so if we're staying there so yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of the suburbs of america nice that's a great way to put it too because uh just I don't know, especially for comedians like I, we love smaller venues. I don't know mm. why. There's the intimacy of uh, I feel like 200 seats is pretty great. You know what I mean? Mm. You can play at theaters, you can play bigger venues, stuff like that. But there's something about a low ceiling and a dark room, and just uh, you know, a couple hundred people. It's pretty sweet. Good. Did you um ever have any like fan interactions where you thought it was a little scary, like people like you know when you were like when you guys were like really big, like where you're like okay, this is getting a little intense um yeah we of course we had a few of those um but that's all part of the journey you know mm -hmm. yeah did you have a routine like a, like a ritual would you do like when you hit a new town did you tend to look for like a restaurant or a diner or a dive bar or something that would almost make you feel at home where you would go do that pre or post show because i know you only have a limited time Depends. there so yeah i mean we normally shake up in a bus at like seven in the morning outside of the theater and the first thing you want is a good breakfast so we google like the best bre breakfast and then we uber over to wherever that diner happens to be um yeah so that, that's always a good way to start the uh, day but i'm open-minded about places to eat um in america um and i just see what see what happens that's cool it's a great way to look at it um i always wanted to make this app We've talked about this before for uh, for people, you know, who travel, who do road gigs, who do any of that kind of stuff to mark down their favorite places to eat so that mm. people can see where they are, you know, like yeah. on a map. Uh, and then I thought uh, that's probably a horrible way for a stalker to find you. So maybe not the best idea. Yeah. You know, yeah, we just ate here and they're like, all right, he's in Trenton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah really. <laughs> um but yeah that was because I, I love i love word of mouth finding places to eat and places that you love to like spend yeah. time on the road uh is there any particular activity that you like doing or do you are you like a gig hotel home kind of person that's it i i this you know the the i did all the uh museums on early tours um nice. you yeah. know i enjoyed that and 
the older I get, the more I want to relax between um, show and travel because traveling can be quite stressful, believe it or not, on a bus. And so yeah. I like to just try and find my own space, my own time. And really it's the most important bit is just the, the bit where you walk from the dressing room to the stage and then back again. <laughs> <laughs> Another good title for a book. Um, yeah. You're pumping them out tonight. Um, there's a, a, you know, again, being out on the road, going from different places. I always liked um, small towns. You're talking about suburbs. They seem to have like great vintage stores. I learned early on, mm. like on the road. And I would go pick up records from, you know, every town. I would always let myself buy like a couple records from every town I was in. Yeah. Different place. Did you have anything like that where you were like, oh, this town has this little knickknack shop or anything like that when you were on the road? Um, not for me, but um, other members of the band are kind of really good at that sort of thing. And um, mm. I, I don't know. I mean, how many knickknacks do you need? You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm fed up with knickknacks and records. You know, I've had enough of it already. Right. <laughs> and now I should probably stop buying them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's got a point. Um, well, listen, I just wanted to thank you for coming on because uh, this has been just a blast to, to get to talk. Thank to you, you very much. Um, I have three questions that we ask every guest. Um, the first one, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, uh, what kind of advice would you give yourself today that would help you? Um, that's a good question. Um, be a bit more committal. That's oh, good okay. advice. Yeah. Any, anything in particular that struck that, like that you wanted to be committed to? Well, I was committed to drinking for many years, but um, I don't, you know, I don't want to go there. But um, sure. I was going to say, you didn't take your own advice. You gave it up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that might lead into the next question I have. Um, and is what had to end in your life, good or bad, in order for you to wind up where you are today? Um, well, I stopped drinking and taking drugs 30 years ago, and I'm kind of quite... Um, adamant that that's a good route good for me yeah congrats yeah. man that's awesome um and uh and the last question is uh based on the theme of the show so if this was a real dystopia and there were uh, there's a comet coming or aliens or whatever it is what would be your epic death how would you want to go out oh that's a good question too um i think being eaten by an alien. <laughs> that's, that's great. I love it. So great, man. Uh, thank you so, so much for coming on, dude. It, it's, been, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Indeed, take, man. Thanks so much. Have a great one. Take care, man. You Peace. too. Bye. Dystopia tonight.